Hello. Hello, my name is Michael Rosso, and this is the Film Photography Podcast, the podcast for people who love to shoot with film. This is show number 30, March 15th, 2011, and I'm in the studio today with John Fideli. Hiya, Gaia. And re- returning guest host, Matt Marash. Hey, it's good to be back, guys. It's great to have you yeah, back. Nice to see you again. Today, generally speaking, is our big... 8x10 show. Spectacular. Spectacular 8x10 show. When I say 8x10, I mean 8x10, if you could even imagine this, 8x10 film photography. That means your negative is 8x10, hmm. and you have a large format camera. Almost as big as a sheet of paper. As well, Yes, yes. Matt brought his 8x10 camera. He also brought his 8x10 Polaroid back, so it's just mind-numbing. So we're going to get through some business first. Business. And then we're going to devote uh, a reasonable amount of time to talk about 8x10. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Well, let me tell you real quick, we have some letters. We're going to be talking about tagging your images when using uh, the computer, when posting your images on uh, Flickr, Photo Bucket, Picasa. Picasa, tagging, how important that is to get your images seen. I'm going to be talking about 620 film photography, doing a spotlight on the Kodak Tourist two camera Mm. then we're going to be having a book of the month which is called a kind of rapture by robert bergman and then we're going to be talking about eight by ten film photography all this and more are more new contests that you heard about last time remind you about our contests as soon as we get back so we'll, we'll, we'll be right back super amazing hey this is michael rosso host of the film photography podcast here to tell you about filmphotographystore.com that's right fpp's film photography store you can buy film stock holgas and toy cameras vintage cameras and more when you purchase from film photography store proceeds go to fpp Film Photography Podcast. Help keep us running in 2011, 2012, 2013, and beyond. And beyond. Check out the filmphotographystore.com. Use the special code for March to get 10% off. The code is 0311. Upon checkout, use the code 0311 to get a 10% discount. instant camera actually has a computer inside. It works out the exposure. You don't need a light meter. You don't have to measure distance either. The focusing is done for you. And you don't worry about light. The built-in flash gives you just the right amount. That's it. Just press the button. There you are in 90 seconds. Razor sharp image and bright lasting colors. Polaroid. Just press the perfect pictures. And we're back. (laughs) And we're back. I have some letters. I just want. Well, this is from A R N A U D. Arnaud. That sounds right. This is a letter from Arnaud. I think the D may be silent. Arnaud. Arnaud. And he says. Just want to drop a message. I'm currently going through your backlog of podcasts. I'm at the September one, but I have to say now, before finishing catching up, that your podcast is awesome. The fantastic thing is our podcast is in an archive now. Mm. So all of the episodes, you know, from episode number one are accessible 
right from filmphotographypodcast.com. I'm French, not me, the letter, right? <laughs> I'm French, live in Belfast, Northern Ireland. Wow. Northern Iron, as locals say. <laughs> I started with a DSLR Nikon D80, so it was. After six to eight months, I bought an F100, the best thing I ever did. Nice. I developed my own black and white, and I'm recently proud owner of a V700 Epson scanner. Those are nice. Yeah, I have one. Still shoot with digital, but definitely prefer film. I'm really gutted that I discovered your podcast just last month. Don't ask me how. Probably the Google. And I missed all the Kodachrome fun. The Google. If you pass in Europe, drop by Belfast. Don't hesitate to drop an email. I'd love to buy you a pint. You uh, guys can go anywhere in Europe now. Yeah, this is we're, great. Oh, we're great. pretty much set. We world s- tour. We're going to plan yeah. the world tour. This letter is from our friend Vlad, who says, Can you take a look at my c- contribution for the benefit of film photography community? I have written an iPhone application that works as a light meter, and the Ooh. application is free. It's called Pocket Light Meter. Of course, it is not as good as your favorite Gossen Luna Pro F meter, but it is always in your pocket, and if you have an iPhone or the newest iPod Touch, you have it. Gossen Luna Pro. So, John, Mr. Mac. Yes. Uh, you downloaded the <laughs> downloaded it, yeah. Pocket light meter, and would you agree that it's pretty cool to have? Yeah, it's very, very cool. Do you f- see yourself using it? Sure, why not? I think it's fascinating that our listener like designed this. Yeah, they, people are designing all kinds of crazy stuff. For but this how do you go about doing that? What do you mean designing like, how do you an design application? Such a thing. Well, the interface and the, and the screen on this thing is just so crazy and sensitive that you can do just about anything. I have a, um, a synthesizer that I downloaded that is motion sensitive. It, it works on a gyroscopic principle. Oh, yes. So it as you move it around, though. it becomes louder or quieter, mm-hmm. or if you move it in a different direction, mm-hmm. it goes through a different scale. Wait, is that what they use so. for that uh, that iPhone music video thing? Did you see that? No, I haven't. They, they start mixing and doing the, the instrumentals and everything from these iPhone synthesizer apps. Yeah, yeah there's so many crazy. of them. Yeah, and for photography, there's hundreds. They have their own section. There's like there's like other uses, apps, mm-hmm. financial, and then like photography. And yeah. there's like hundreds, hundreds. Well, you know, thank you, Vlad, for designing yeah. that. Yeah. And uh, we just downloaded it just, just this second. Yes. So if you have an iPhone, download the, uh, it's called the... I'll put it through its paces later with my... Uh, light pocket meter. light meter. So we're going to revisit this. And folks out there who are using iPhones, by all means, if you could download this application and Send us an email at filmphotographypodcast at gmail.com. Yo. I would love to hear what you guys think of this app. Yeah. Don't be too hard on it. It's free. Yeah, yeah. it's free. That's the yeah. best part. Here's a letter from Rick. Rick says, I like your show, but I like it a lot more if you could dot dot reduce the amount of annoying sound effects, <laughs> repeating oh. of things and silly voices, etc. Isn't that what makes the show? I- Number two, yeah. get the audio levels evened out so that one voice isn't twice as loud as the other. Check. I don't know what he's saying. <laughs> Seriously, I like the show a lot, but it's a valuable resource for those of us interested in film photography, and I'm not trying to be overly critical. I just think that you could really improve the show a lot with some minor improvements in the production value. Mm. I can imagine that the voices, accents, etc., are really funny to you oh. while recording, oh. but I don't think I'm alone in just finding them annoying as a listener. Oh, Sheldon. Thanks, Rick in Minnesota. Well, Rick, we're going to put it through the old FPP test. <laughs> this is a vote, very similar to the Quake and Quisp vote that they oh, had in boy. the 1960s. It's going to be huge. Yes, you could Google Quisp or Quake 
And you can find some uh, videos on YouTube. Basically, they were two cereals made by, I think, General Mills. Mm -hmm. And they were going to get rid of one of them, so they had a vote. Yep. Crisp one. They did. Yes. You can still enjoy Crisp cereals. Yes, so. you can. Yes. So, filmphotographypodcast at gmail.com. Yo! I would like everyone to vote. Keep the show as is, which is sound effects and... Bad Slow audio down recording. Slow down voices. Slow down audio. <laughs> well, let me tell you, Rick, there's not too much I could do about the, the audio recording right now because we're a little bit like octopus in here in the sense that right now I am hosting the show and I'm also doing audio engineering. So when I'm talking to John or Matt, you know, the meters to my... Let's put it this way. I'm doing the it's, best I can. It's hard, Joey. It's hard. No, I'm doing the best. Jordan, I'm doing the best I can. As far as uh, the sound effects, yes. for those of you who like vanilla ice cream... <laughs> Vote for no sound effects. <laughs> for those of you who like Rocky Road or something a little more spectacular, so it's vote for sound effects. Vote keep show as is or vote lose the sound effects. <gasps> Film photography podcast at gmail.com. Yo. And uh, Rick, stay tuned. We'll let you know uh, what people have to say. Okay. Mm. See if there's uh, any more like minded individuals out there like Rick. Dieter writes Dieter our Dieter. pal Dieter he's written to us before has he yes he has oh. it's 30 shows it's hard to keep all these names straight the big 3 we, we, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, we're over the hill now yeah uh, I noticed there are listeners who they were with us in the beginning and then they've kind of disappeared yeah. and then they come back oh. which is nice I think maybe they get on with their life mm -hmm. and then months go by or maybe a year goes by and they're like hey what are those film photography guys if those idiots are still doing that <laughs> podcast yeah. he says I have a suggestion for an interview subject hmm. my suggestion is none other than Stephen M. Schaub master printer behind the fidgetal revolution fidgetal fidgetal okay it's a morphing of digital and film fidgetal i read his blog oh you do yeah, yeah. i just checked it out today many of his many of his ideas regarding film align with yours and mine too and his website is fidgetalrevolution.com i checked out the site and i noticed that he uh is an inventor hmm. he invented the no pod <laughs> and it's that? a piece of uh well if you go to if you go to fidgetalrevolution.com you can see his video and it's a piece of like military uh elastic Mm -hmm. that you put under your foot and then you use the tension from the elastic with the, your camera in hand to keep the camera huh. steady Interesting. to get a shot without a tripod. Also huh. doubles as a workout. So yeah, yeah. Yes, it does. Yes, <laughs> the resistance does. bands and the massive biceps. So, Interesting. Uh, well, Stephen, I will eventually get around to sending you an email saying hi. Uh, in the meantime, you should know that you are invited to uh, come uh, up or down or across from Vermont to the Film Photography Podcast to be a guest on our show. And tell us all about your wares. He also designed what's called, I'm getting it wrong, Stephen. Like it's, like a, it's like a Y. The Y strap? Yes, yes. thank you. The Y strap. Yeah, I, I saw that video on there. I, it's hard to describe because there's so many straps and everything yeah. now. I can't remember which one. And what is that supposed to do? It's over the shoulder. Yeah, it's, 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 a like, a, it's like no, a, no, no. It's a comfort strap. It just keeps it, it, keeps it organized better than the stock strap, which oh, hurts your neck and falls off and everything. He also designed a strap. I don't know what it's called. Maybe you know. And it's for basically when you're shooting to keep the camera from falling out of your hands. Hmm. Let's say you're shooting out of a helicopter or a plane. Oh, dear. Uh, it's the, the strap goes around your, your wrist, mm -hmm. and it's very comfortable and attaches to one side of the camera, so you could actually oh, that's nice. dangle the camera. I don't know what it's called, but uh, these are things that he invented. And I will tell you, something like the NoPod, it was like $6.99. You know. Yeah, try it out. Yeah, yeah. try it out. Yeah, but I've, I've read his blog. He, he does a lot of really in-depth tests with uh, newer film. His, his, most, um, his most popular one is the Portrait 400, the new film that oh, came okay. out in November. Yes, I saw that. He did a bunch of reviews. He, he tortured that film, oh. and he does the really really tight in examples crops 
He goes in like to like an eyeball. The pixel oh, level, yeah. pixel green level. So. Yes, that's to be applauded. Well, Stephen, thank you. Uh, you you're a uh, great example for the film photography community, <laughs> and uh, I'm sure our paths will meet. Get it while it's hot. Hey guys, I'm. We're on to another letter. Hey guys, I'm Nathan. How about this pace, Jeff? Huh? <laughs> hey guys, I'm Nathan Tappan, and it feels like the last, you know, the last show we did on the first was yeah. like in slow motion. Yeah, it was. For some reason, I'm always hyped up on the second show. I'm Nathan Tappan, and I'm at. Well, I don't need to know his address. Nathan's problem is that 99% of his 35mm film, he's okay with cutting. But when he decides to do double exposures and overlap, Mm -hmm. he has a really hard time figuring out how to store his film. So let's say you're doing overlapping exposed double and triple exposures and there's really no end of one image and beginning of another mm-hmm. so he wants to know any tips on dealing with these stray rolls so he won't lose or damage them or should i just man up and chop it up <laughs> man up dude yeah just just cut it and if it falls where it falls i guess one tip would be a lot of times when i shoot sprockets sprockets yes i ask the lab not to cut it mm. so okay. they send it back rolled in a cardboard like hole tube mm-hmm. thing tube yeah. Yeah. yeah uh that's a fine way to store it unfortunately the roll is going to generate a uh, a memory for it's going to get a lot of curl i would suggest nathan that you find the least offensive cut like look at your 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 negative on a or your positive on a light box and figure out like actually you know pick yeah pick your images actually find your images and what you can sacrifice so there's you know like there's no easy way to go about it no and there's no actual answer one man's art you know is is you know another man's goose yeah (laughs) yeah so what you may see something different than someone else sees so there's no right or wrong answer other than you know unless you shoot keeping in mind leaving a little gap it's it's an interesting uh conundrum to be in i'm sure there's a lot of people on the the film photography podcast Flickr group that could go about answering that because i know there's a suggestion there's a lot of guys that that double triple expose cross process all that stuff and they have to do the same we're gonna uh very briefly talk about tagging i am a uh avid tagger i'm a avid and advocate for tagging your image proponent proponent of tagging as a matter of fact and i saw that matt on his blog what is your blog site uh www.mattmarash.com m-a-r-r-a-s-h yes m-a-t-m-a-r-r-a-s-h.com uh matt had a blog about tagging and i asked him if i could swipe it and put it on the fpp blog which he said great it even looked better that way thank you uh (laughs) i can't tell you how important it is for tagging because you see, everyone that's shooting, whether you're shooting film or digital, you get your, you put your film, let's say, on a platform like Flickr, mm. and most photographers want to be noticed. They want their images to be seen. They want to be uh, acknowledged as a photographer. Mm-hmm. They want someone to understand and look at their art. But many fail, sadly, I have to say, even in the FPP Flickr group, mm. are failing to add any information with their upload that enables a person looking to find their images. Yeah. When I do a blog or I do a gallery many times i will look for images in the fpp pool and i want to i want to see images let's say shot with the canon ae1 so i'll do a search hmm. canon ae1 in the search box in the Flickr pool to see which fpp members have been shooting with the canon ae1 or using a particular film stock mm-hmm. so many pictures show up and they're all properly tagged but what people don't understand is they're missing out because they're being passed over only because they forgot to put a tag in. Yeah, it's not that their image isn't good, it's just not tagged. Uh, do you know what a tag is? Can you explain a little bit? Yeah, a tag is, some people call it meta tags, and in Flickr there's just regular tags, and it's just um, data that's added to 
your your image file and it's in there's a little there's a little um, line for description or tags of it and you just enter keywords and those are keywords that people would search to find your work uh, your find your work so if it was taken with a Canon AE1 you could tag Canon AE1 and there's a couple different ways about tagging like there's people put phrases in or you can put individual words and I just tell people if you want to get the simplest form of tags just the individual words because people aren't going to search mm. long specific phrases like film photography taken with a Canon AE1. Nobody searches that whole phrase. They'll search AE1. So make sure that's a tag and make sure your film's a tag. And if it's a if it's a girl with puppy, little girl with puppy works. That's that's a good tag. It gets tricky though because if you, if you type in Canon AE1, Canon AE and one will show up as different. Yes, unless you tag it with a parenthesis. Par- you put a parenthesis around oh, really? the beginning and at the end. Like if you want to say Kodak Portra 160VC. So if you put don't a par- put a parenthesis up there, every picture tagged with a one in it will come up. I don't know how it works. Probably, you probably will get lost. Yeah, it'll probably get lost because a lot of people have random numbers because they have like scan 127 or right. something that... So do you have to put to every it. tag in parentheses? Or not print, or Multiple, quotes, sorry. If it's quotes. more than one word. Oh, quotes. I'm yeah, sorry. if it's more than one word. So if you want film photography podcast in there, you type quote film photography podcast and quote, and you're, you're all set. And when you're doing groups of images, right when you upload them, it even says, would you like to tag your images? Mm-hmm. And you can do one line, and you click a button, and it applies it to all those. So it's, it's pretty helpful that way. And it's easy. It takes an extra 10 seconds. People spend, I said this in the blog post, but people spend hours and hours playing Farmville at work. You can spend 10 seconds <laughs> and tag your images. That's all mm. it takes. Number one offender, Trackman. Really? Yeah, he probably you, tags nothing. You, you look up on Flickr, and it's like, it's like DSC-3001. That's the name of the image. Oh, I hate that's, that. That's the, there's the, billions the, of the images. The name of the image that, that the camera gives it. Yeah, there's no, there's no post about what, there's no like posting about what the subject is. Of course, on the side, the tags, there's no tags. Now, for me, even when I'm looking at images in the FPP pool, and let's say there are tags... I'm always, I'm always looking at very simple things as a film photographer. What camera was used, what lens mm-hmm. was used, and what stock was used. Mm-hmm. Because I want to know. I want to know. Well, how did, if I'm looking at the image, it means I'm, I, I'm fascinated by it. Wow, this is a really good image. How is it accomplished? And many times I feel a little uh, hesitant to actually send a Flickr mail to someone because not necessarily in the FPP pool, but other pools, I get the impression maybe some photographers don't want to share the information. Why? What's the know. secret? There's lots of secrets in photography. Really? Amongst, photo- amongst photographers. Okay, if you say so. A lot of images I see have no information. I'm questioning whether it's film or video. It looks like film, but maybe it's maybe mm. it's, it's uh, digital, I should say. I, I, I can't stress enough how important tags are. How do you feel, John? I feel it's most important. Uh, your fil- are your images tagged? No. <laughs> uh, I haven't really started posting yet, so... Well, you have some patient. images, right? I'm getting a lot of good information about yeah, it. Yeah, once he go, does. Though. You've gotten contacted? Nobody wants to see 100 pictures of my kids, believe me. Does anyone contact you on the Flickr? Yeah, a bunch of people have from the uh, film fo- get, podcast do, community. Do you get back to them? No. No, for real? Yeah. You don't no, well, people, you know, has to be my friend or whatever it is up there. Oh, like the ad you want to contact? Ad, ad means That means they're contact, waiting yeah. to see your images. Oh, uh, before we get into the thick of uh, large format uh, photography, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, 620 film because I received a letter about 620 film. Many cameras that you can buy on eBay, many of the Kodak cameras. As a matter of fact, there's a large number of cameras just about by many, many manufacturers that made cameras that take 620 film. And 
people may be saying, well, what is 620 film? And there's no mystery. Whoa, whoa, whoa Mike. Yes, John. What's 620 film? I'm going to tell you. Oh. That's a great, excellent question. Oh, Matt, are you, are you on the 620 bandwagon? Have you shot with 620? I have not shot 620. The whole, the whole mystery of respooling is, is kind of okay. preventing me. Perfect. So maybe you can shed some light on that. Well, these are two cameras which I'm going to talk about in a minute. But right now I'm going to talk about respooling. So there are a number of uh, Kodak Brownie cameras that take 620 film. And 620 film is nothing more than 120 film on a different spool. Oh, it's just skinnier. This is a Kodak invention. They made a format of film called 620, and it's no different than one, his 120 film, which is the roll film still being manufactured. And here is 620 film spool. 120 film was introduced in 1901. Wow. That's incredible. This is incredible because this is still an active format. That's yeah, very active. Yeah, you get Amazing. this in any... St- 1901. 620 film was discontinued in 1995. Okay. 95. Wow. Yeah, it went for a while. Went for a long time. Because there's so many 6.20 cameras out there. So these days if you pick up a camera, let's say on eBay or at a garage sale, and it takes 620 film, you can buy 620 film on the 620 spools from companies like B&H Photo. Mm. But they're charging like twelve ninety nine yeah. a roll. Oh, wow. Oof. Because all they're doing is taking 120 film, re-rolling it to a 620 spool. So you may ask, well, how can I do this? Well, where do you get the spools, first of all? It's an excellent question. I would recommend eBay.com. And there are lots of deals on eBay where you can buy the spools for like $10, $15, $20. And I've found that buying old expired film is actually cheaper. Oh, uh, okay. Because it's still on spool. Yeah, yeah. you'll see like, a, like four or five uh, rolls of 620 film expired like in the 1960s with almost no bids on on it. For, mm-hmm. So for that same $15, you could probably pick up much cheaper actual film. All you do is take the film, take the film off of the spool and throw it away. I mean, you can try to shoot with it, but most yeah. likely it's not going to uh, yield a very nice image. If it's black and white, you'll have a much better chance. Yeah, I developed some 620 not too long ago. The, uh, the local photo lab, she knew I was do- I was souping 120, and she's like, well, this is the same. <laughs> and she handed me a roll from uh, 47 or something. Oh, really? Oh, 1947? Some, yeah, I had some, uh, had some family photos on black and white. She told me it was an older slower speed and then i had to process it as even even slower like give it a little more time it was a little foggy but good stuff so someone mm. gave you an exposed roll of 620 film mm-hmm. and, and you just, developed it at home yep oh that's interesting yeah wow did you post any pictures yet or no no i didn't post any of those it was she cut them you know she sold them back to the uh oh, family okay. i was i guess it was uh, commissioned out or whatever you want to call so See, in order to roll your own film... Roll your own. You first need to acquire the spools, which the main difference, I said, is the the little little, uh, hub. The 120 is larger, the 620 is much narrower. This area circumference is uh, smaller, but the film size is the same. You will need a dark room or a film-changing bag. Once you acquire your 620 film spools, you just buy your favorite film stock on 120, and then in a bag or in a dark room. There's a few methods available on YouTube.com. My method allows less um, problems when rolling back because the film is taped at a certain point. So for me, I always get two 620 film spools, and I start at the head of the 120 roll, and in the bag, I usually just take the nice new 120 film. This is my test roll of 120, which it's okay if we ruin ru- ruin it, or as, ruin. as we say here, <laughs> ruin it. Ruin it. Yes. And I take the head, and I roll it onto the 620. Not very complicated. Yeah, but no. And remember, you'll be doing this in the dark, and there it Here's is. Here's the tape. Yeah. Here's the piece of tape. And by rolling first to a 
620 spool, you're uh, applying the proper tension to it so when you roll it back, there won't be a big bulge here. That's the biggest worry part. So continue rolling until you get the hole. And once you get used to this, you'll be zipping through it. <laughs> At the end of a, your roll of 120 film, you'll see that there is no tape. <gasps> So you continue to so roll to, in the dark. You have to tape it yourself? Or, oh. No, no. So now we're at the tail end. You'll find this thingy, which is the uh, little tab. Yeah. Little tab. So, okay, now part one is done. There's your 120. Now. Now you take the second 620 film spool and you roll it back up again. Roll it back up. No. Okay, never mind. There are some points that you may hit some danger. I will show you those points. Now you're rolling in the dark, so you start your process. Close your eyes. I don't need to close my eyes right now. I've done this a million times. And you're just kind of pressing on that, that other roll to get the tension built up? Yes. So okay. the tension is the same. Now, the danger part is at the tail end of the spool, the film is not taped. So it's very easy. I'm going to show you the, the pitfall. If you don't look out for it, you will miss the film. And all of a sudden, in the dark, let me find it, uh. you will want to know, what is going on? It, okay, here comes the film. There it is. Oh, and so I've already done it. Yeah, it already, already started rolling back up on itself. I've already done it wrong. Now, I wasn't paying attention by you know using my fingers to feel where the film is, and I missed the film. Here it is. So if you miss catching the film under, what happened is you'll just lose it. And by the time you keep going, I've done this before, and oh. ruined a roll of film. I was like... <laughs> and... It's going to be a while. Like, oh. What is that? And in the dark, I couldn't figure out what was going on. Yeah. Oh, like, and you panic because you're in the on? dark. Yeah. So I actually had to ruin a roll of film to take it out of the dark bag to be like, oh. Stoops. Stupid. <laughs> yeah. So when you're re-rolling it back to the head, you have to be really aware of where the film starts because it's not taped down. Mm -hmm. And then very carefully with your fingers have to kind of make sure you tuck it under. Now the film is caught properly. There you go. And now you could roll the 120 film back to the head. Can I ask you a question? Yes. Can you first roll it up on another 120 spool? Do you need to have the two? Well, there are people that have rolled, not rolled it using any spool. They just unrolled it and then rolled it back. Right. And then there are other folks that have used the 120. But why use the 120? Because the mm. it's, not, it's not the same. You get a feel for the other spool, yeah. I guess. I just didn't know if there were any advantages to having two 620s. I'm coming to the taped portion, and here it is. As you can see, there's no major bulge. Looks good. But if there was, let's say there's like a major bubble here, a bulge. This was just sticking out like this, and you is a major problem. Then you would just simply simply untape the film in the dark, and then you would just smooth it out and then retape it. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. Now you're back to the head of the roll. There you go. Pop. And now you are ready to insert this into your camera. And for that four minutes, you'll pay 12 bucks at B&H. Yes. Once you get the hang of it, because a film-changing bag, small, I recommend, is only about $15 on ebay.com. Once you make the investment and get some spools going, uh, you're all set, and it really doesn't take long. And I, I know this may sound funny, but I actually enjoy rolling my own film. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fun. How many do you roll at once? Usually one or two. Oh, yeah. You don't have like a party and do a couple no, of six or I seven? No, I do not have a Put party. Put on like Dark Side of the Moon and Call your buddies busy. up. We're yeah. rolling them up tonight, guys. A, <laughs> a, a key thing to note that when you send your roll of film 
out to the lab. Make sure you put a large note, big note, sometimes two notes, maybe three notes, yellow highlighter, to please return my film spool. People have asked me, will they do that? Yeah, you just gotta ask. The answer is absolutely. Return my film spool. And if you get your film back and they did not return your film spool, get on the blower. Where's my 620 film spool? I asked for it. I need it back. Because these things are very valuable. Mm. They're like five, ten bucks each. Wow. You know, depending on you know when and where you get them. Another option, which I do sometimes, because sometimes I just don't feel like bother writing the note. You could, very simply, in the dark bag, roll it back off, and then roll it back onto the 120 spool. Ah. Then you send the 120 spool with the film and to the lab. you don't have to worry about it. There you don't you have to worry about you don't, you don't got to worry about nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't got to worry about nothing. Yeah. That's how you roll 120 film onto a 620 spool. If you have any questions, you can always send me an email at filmphotographypodcast at gmail.com. And since I have a roll of 620 film, I'm going to launch right into my uh, camera review of the month, my spotlight camera of the month, which is the Kodak Tourist 2 camera that takes 620 film. About two months ago, I was talking about 620 film on the Film Photography Podcast, and I received an email from listener Jim Butler, who tipped me off to the Kodak Tourist two camera, uh, the 620 film camera, and he uh, boasted about it mostly because of the very large negative that it produces. This is a beautiful camera because the negative is a nice 6 it's by immense. 9 it's, it's huge. negative color transparency, black and white negative, color negative, uh, and it's a very satisfying uh, experience shooting such a large negative as we will talk about later when we talk about 4x5 and 8x10. How many shots per roll can you get on there, Mike? You get eight shots per roll. That's not bad. I bought this on ebay.com, and what I discovered soon after, because I received another email from uh, Jim Butler telling me, oh, by the way, when you buy the camera, make sure you get the Aniston lens and not the Kodet lens. Don't! The the Kodet lens uh, is a cheaper version of the Kodak Tourist 2. It only has one shutter speed. Which, these cameras, because I own so many cameras, I always make a little cheat sheet that I actually attach to the camera. Uh, this camera was started being manufactured in 1951. It has 1 50th of a second shutter, and it takes 620 films. So I always kind of write a little note. Well, you got it when you have that many cameras. Yeah. yeah. It's just crazy. Now, this camera, I have used this camera, and this camera, because it's a, a plastic, cheaper camera, produces a much more dreamy image. Okay. So uh, when you're in the mood for that kind of Holga type of thing, mm-hmm. and I've always kind of mentioned that you don't need a Holga or a Diana. You really could find a vintage Kodak and get some of the same <coughs> uh, experience by using you know an older camera. You have some images on your Flickr page. From I that? do. This camera with the Kodak lens, you have one fiftieth of a second B for bulb, which when you depress the shutter, here's the shutter here on the side, which triggers it through here. It keeps the shutter open as long as you depress the button, or the handy dandy T mode, which when you depress the shutter, the shutter is now open and will not close until you depress the shutter again. Hmm. So this is fantastic for night photography. Sure. T-mode is fantastic. Yeah. Tonight. With this camera, I don't think I have that option of uh, the, uh, what do you call it? The uh, plunger. Um, tr- yeah, the trigger plunger. release. Plunger. Trigger release. The plunger. Plunger. So, yeah, some, yeah, some people call it. So much to form, after I bought this camera, soon after, I went back on eBay.com. <laughs> And I picked up, as Jim suggested, the uh, the different model. I mean, they look the same. Lo and behold, this one's mm. a little bit heavier. And this particular model has what's known as a Kodak Aniston lens. Mm. And this has a variety of uh, shutter speeds. You have B for bulb, 25, 50th, 100th, and 200th of a second. Mm. It's pretty good. You have your f-stop choices, which are... Oh, there, here they are. You have uh, f6.3, f8, f11, 16, 22, and 32. This camera... You will need to cock the shutter before you fire it. 
both cameras, you have focus. It, it's not really a rangefinder. You need to just guesstimate okay. your, your focus and then uh, take your shot. But I've been experimenting with this camera with night photography, especially this model, because this has a uh, port here where you can put, as John calls it, your plunger, which is a cable release. Yeah. Cable release. There we go. We got it. You want me to get yeah. one? Looks yeah. like a syringe. Yes, yeah, so we should show one. It's like a pass. flexible syringe. has a little metal thing that pokes in and out and fires the shutter. Work, 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 work. I don't know if you can screw this one in. It's, it's an older one. Okay. But you can just, just want to show what it is. Show it, yeah. This is a cable release. You've seen them, I'm sure. You have a little, as John oh. pointed out, a plunger here, and you attach this to your camera so that you can, especially for night photography, this way you're not touching the camera camera's not moving and this way whatever you shoot will hopefully be still so it's very very nice thank you matt for demonstrating the cable release oh no problem i use t-mode all the time because i need really really slow exposures ah so i'm going to shoot here in the studio at a 50th of a second at f8 according to the Dawson luna pro f so how to load a 620 film camera. In past segments, we talked about how to re-roll your own 620 film, and we've done a profile on the Kodak Tourist 2 camera. There are many, many uh, 620 film cameras on eBay.com, uh, many Kodak cameras, Kodak Brownie cameras. Uh, I like the Tourist 2 camera with the Aniston lens because of the features it gives me. It gives me a variety of shutter speeds. It gives me a variety of f-stops and also has a bulb mode with the option of using a cable release to do some night photography. So now I'm going to show you how to load a 620 film camera. And even though this model may be different than a camera you bought, the logistics of it are all basically the same. Now, when you find your way fumbling, remember, never use violence with the camera. And I will tell you that... Uh, None other than legendary cinematographer Baderich Botka told me to get a Goss and Luna Pro in college. He always said, rightfully so, no violence. And I live by that law. Because you may find, well, how to get your film in. It may be a little tricky. And with this particular camera, there's a little nub here that Got pops open nubs. a little piece here that allows you to put in your roll of film. My big gorilla mitts are probably in the shot, as usual. <clears throat> Struggle with it. No violence. This no will, violence. Exactly. This will pop right... Uh, there it goes. You know, different cameras... Are, are are different. Then they you, sure are, Mike. They pull. <laughs> you pull your film over, and then you attach it to your. You could also do this, by the way, with your camera closed. This way, you're not getting your big meaty hands all over the uh, bellows. There you go. And crushing yeah. the bellows yeah. as you're struggling to load your. Put like a nice little light leak in there. Yeah. So you can just kind of just put this in the take up side. I don't know how well you can see Almost. that. Almost. And then it's you're in, and then you it. yep. do some. <clears throat> Oh, I missed it. Now, it's easy to get frustrated doing something like this. And what you can do, really, is take a little piece of tape. This is the patented Rasso technique. And here is my famous green paper tape. Ends violence and frustration yes. when you're loading your camera. All you need is a little piece of tape if you don't want to struggle. A little dab will do you. Just take this on the end. It's paper tape. It's not thick at all. Just put it on the end here. It's not gooey. No, it's not really gooey. And you could um, kind of just gum up your camera. Paper tape on the camera there. Paper tape. By the way, you could do this in date, you know, in, in subdued light. You don't need to go in a dark room to do this because the film is protected by the backing. And now, oh yeah, we're looking for those. Looking what? good. There's a start thingamajig there. there. Just right there. It's fine. Close your camera up. Make sure it's lock closed. It yeah. Lock it up. And now you could. On the back, you have a window on most cameras where you will see the paper backing is numbered, and we're going to be looking for number one. Number one, Joe. It's easy to overshoot the number one and, and, and go right past it. You have to be really slow and 
careful. After a while, you get a feel for it, yeah. though. You know, there it, oh, is. there it is. Can't take big twists. Number no, one, small. Number one, Joe. And now we're ready to shoot. Aces. Open up your camera. Nice. I've been shooting with this camera about a month now, and this is my go-to 620 camera of the moment. And I love this camera. And I'm going to take a picture of uh, Matt and John at a fiftieth of a second at f/8. It's 800 uh, speed film. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to back off. Uh, as Coach Duffy used to say in high school, back off. <laughs> if you got too close to the coach, like if you got the kids would get in his face. Really? And they'd be like, uh, back off. Why would you get in the coach's face? He also was the health teacher. Oh, so, you know, if you got, had a question about a test you took or something like that, um, you know, you don't want to ask you a question. Is that what it says on his gravestone? If, back off. You if know? you have <laughs> madness. I'm now going to shoot with the Kodak Tourist 2 camera. There's no light meter built into this. So if you're going outside to shoot and you don't own a light meter, do not be depressed. You could go to the Google on the Internet and look up Sunny 16. That's a great way to figure out how to shoot outside. If you own an iPhone, yeah, get you the iPhone app. download the, what's it called, John? Uh, pocket light meter? Is that <laughs> what yeah, it is? Pocket, pocket light, light meter. meter. You could uh, go and you could buy the photography magazine, the photography book. Yep. has a chart in the back you can cut out. There are many ways to figure out how to expose your image. Now, on the, on the big, big 6x9 uh, image, I'm going to shoot these guys. Let's see. You guys are about how many feet? Four or five. Let's say four and a half. Cock the shutter. Oh, very nice. One, two, three. Nice. That was it. Did I look happy or angry? <laughs> you look happy. Okay. Uh, parting notes about this camera. When you buy a camera, don't be discouraged if your eyepiece is really muddy and dirty. If your lens is nice and crisp and clean, eyepiece all, as you see, it's all burgered it's up. mucked up. They usually get like that. Though. Yeah, this eyepiece is all mucked up. Don't worry about it. Your images are going to be so beautiful and crisp, you will be amazed. Also, you may ask, well, once I shoot the roll, what do I do? Do I have to rewind anything? And the great thing about roll film, whether it's, whether it's 120 or 620, is that once you're done, the paper, you just roll it out, take it out, and you're ready to send it to your lab of choice. So this has been my spotlight on the Kodak Tourist 2 camera from 1951. If you have any questions, always happy to uh, answer questions. At, you can send me a note at film photography podcast at gmail.com and remember to watch or listen to the film photography podcast right guys that's right yes Uh, really fast, I just want to remind everyone out there about our giveaways this month. We are giving away a 120 film camera, a Seagull 4A camera that, that was donated to the podcast by our friend May uh, from Canada. And it's a 120 film camera. It's a beautiful camera. If you look up on Flickr, Seagull, you'll find some amazing images. It's a really, really great camera to have. And you can win that by sending a note to us at filmphotographypodcast at gmail.com. All you have to do is send us your name, your uh, mailing address, and a little bit about yourself. Also, I should mention, if you're going to enter more than one contest please do send separate emails for each contest don't just send one and say hey enter me in all of them yes you, know? you will not be entered in any of them <laughs> right, right that's that's very true we are also giving away polaroid camera yes the yes. polaroid impulse camera donated by matt and this is uh, a camera that uh, kind of, a, you don't hear too much about the Polaroid Impulse camera. It's a 600 camera. You could buy brand new film made by the Impossible Project. They're 
on the you can go to the impossibleproject.com to find out some information. The good news about the Polaroid 600 giveaway is that and we're just announcing this today is that other listeners have sent in Polaroid 600 cameras. So we're going to give away more than Matt's camera. Wow. Our friend Arthur Smith has sent in a Polaroid 600 camera. Our good friend uh, Keith Derrickson has sent in a Polaroid 600 camera. Our good friend Lance from Belgium has sent in a Polaroid camera. Really? Yes. Wow. We'll just wait till we have 600 600 cameras. Yes. There you go. <laughs> so, yeah, let's hoard them all until we do so get, get up, <laughs> So jump on the Polaroid 600 bandwagon. Enter this contest. We're going to pick more than one winner. And of course, everyone's going to get a pack of film. Mm. Very nice. Lance, he donated a pack of original Polaroid 600 film. Wow. Yes. That stuff looks great. Yes, it really does. So one lucky winner is going to get the original Polaroid film. Slightly expired, but still works. Mm-hmm. And then uh, everyone else is going to get a pack of Impossible film. Which one? Possible 600, uh, PX600 film. It's a black and white film. Is that the silver shade? or Silver shade. Very nice stuff. And their new silver shade is exceptionally beautiful. You know, the newer generation yeah. of silver shade. So. You, all you have to do is send an email to filmphotographypodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Send us your name and a little bit about yourself and, of course, your address. Now, if you enter contests, if you're a regular FPP person and you listen a lot and you enter a lot of contests, I recommend you take your bio, you know, the information you send, mm-hmm. you cut and paste it, and you save it somewhere on the computer. <laughs> I will not be offended because, you see, the thing is you may say, oh, my God, I have to write this again. You see, if we pick you as the winner, when I should say when we pick you as the winner, we, we don't want to just pick a winner and be like, right. Send me the Polaroid camera. It looks cute. Yeah. We, we know, we'd like to know about what you do, what you're into, what inspires you, what you're all about. Give us some meat and potatoes. We, yes. we want you to, to help inspire other people with your story. Absolutely. So those are our two contests. And you know, we f- did, you know what I forgot? Did we? We didn't on the give first. We forgot to give out film. Oh, you know. Stoops. Since we're not giving away anything today, why don't we pick double the amount to Sounds make good up? Sounds to me. Whoa. Yeah. So, really fast, let me find our entries. Uh. <laughs> now, every month we're going to be giving away film here on FPP. We're going to be giving away 35 millimeter and twice a month. <laughs> twice a month. Every yes. show. Every show. Every shoe. Every shoe. Every shoe. We're giving away some film. And if you want 35 millimeter, just send an email. I prefer 35 millimeter. I prefer 120. Don't send two emails because you're not going to get entered in both. It doesn't mm. work that way. Tricky. It's tricky. Tricky. It's tricky. Tricky. It's tricky. Tricky. Hey, it's tricky to rock around, to rock around. That's right on time. It's tricky. What tricky? It's tricky. Tricky. It's, you know, only one entry. Gotta and listen. the thing, the question that was asked is, once I enter, do I have to enter again? And the answer is no. Oh, you just keep the box. It's a lottery. Once you're in, you're in, you're in it till you win it. <laughs> we hope so. Yeah. So we're picking two today. Yes, two, four. No, oh, four. Two. two of each. Two. Two of each. Two of yes. each. Yeah, that's four. How long will this lottery go on? Well, until we run out of film. If you are a film photographer and you have a freezer full of film and some stock you're not using anymore, you want to share the love, send us an email. Give it here. Give it here. Filmphotographypodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. All right, guys. Pick two. Right. Pick one. You pick one. All right. All right. All right. This is for 35 millimeter film. Go ahead. You go first. Okay, the first winner of the 35 mil is Jimmy Spilker from Scottsbluff, 
Nebraska. Spilker. What's he say? What's he say? Spilker. I recently started shooting film after my grandfather, a 70-year shooter, passed uh, passed away. He had given me a Minolta XE7 that sat in the closet for years, and I learned how to shoot on digital. I got a few rolls of 35 millimeter from his freezer in an effort to memorialize him through shooting a few of his favorite spots with a couple of his old cameras. I would love to add some film as I have now caught the bug. I am only shooting 35 millimeter, though I'm on the hunt for a 620 camera to begin working with medium format. Ooh. Look at that. Very nice. What do you got? I have Abe Bingham. He says he's been shooting for about two years ever since he bought a Canon AE-1 program with a couple of lenses at a garage sale. After two years, I have accumu accumulated, in addition to the program AE-1, a A1 program, a Holga, flash pod and tripod, or flash and tripod, lamography sprocket rocket, sprocket rocket. <laughs> a homemade pinhole camera, interesting, and a Polaroid SX-70. Nice. He says, basically, every time I see, use a new camera, I become enamored. Who does that sound like? Sounds like he's got a little gas. Yeah. <laughs> he's got a little bit of gas there. I also love to shoot on various kinds of film, but I'm more cautious about this than I'd like. So nothing in the world would make him happier than getting his hands on a box of miscellaneous film. Thanks for the podcast, Abe Bingham. Nice. There Very you go, nice. Abe. Well, you made him happier than anything in the world. Well, you know, I think we have a, a really nice crop of folk out there who listen. Yeah. People are very dedicated and excited about it. They are. They all have exciting stories. It's great. Let's give away 120 film. Let's let's do that. <laughs> well, this feels a little bigger, the pile. Yeah, I think a lot more entrance for yeah. this one. All right, John, you go first. Okay, this one's very short. So I have uh, Jay Godsey. Oh, initial Jay Godsey. initial J. Yeah, I'd like to enter it into the film contest. I can use any sort of thirty-five, one twenty, or one twenty-seven. Thank you so much for sharing. Oh, what's the website there? Uh, www sickpress s-i-c-p-r-e-s-s oh that's book restoration oh yes. look at that book repair and cleaning supplies oh they're in uh massachusetts m-a is maine no massachusetts massachusetts yeah massachusetts methuen massachusetts methuen. very nice all right and my 120 winner is mitch walker from long beach california hello my name is mitch i'm New to your podcast and have posted some photos to your Flickr pool under the name Photo Mitch. I have been a photographer since age 13, and I was a photographer in the Navy in the 70s, uh, expert in every aspect of photography. I even ran an, an uh, Ektachrome E5A film processor. Wow. I was dragged into digital photography in 2002 when I, <laughs> when I started working for Olin Mills Portrait Studios. Oh, I know what that's like, Mitch. It's, yeah, you're a, you're a blessed soul for putting up with that. All right. You are right about digital cameras and their short shelf life. At work, we are currently using Olympus E. E1 digital cameras. It's a good camera, but not for heavy use. We put them through over 300 images a day. I constantly have to replace the camera about every six months because they just, they go bad after that use. That sounds like quite a grind. Those those jobs, they have you shooting. I mean, they, they push kids through like crazy. Yeah. Those portrait studios. Yeah. Man. Yeah, it's crazy. So they use the cameras so much that the cameras just quit. <laughs> yeah, after well, a lot of them have uh, shutter limits, you know, like the, the number of times it can go. And then, Is that right? then to replace the shutter, it's almost as much as buying a new body. And God forbid the sensor gets dust or excess sunlight on it, you know, it's just. It'll be gone. What a scam. Well, okay, here we go. In my off time, I've been shooting film. I have a Hasselblad 500CM, uh, Nikon 8008s, FM2, Voigtlander Bessa RA3, Rangefinder, Fujifilm GA645, geez, wow. Rangefinder, medium format street photography. I also purchased a baby Relayflex TLR after listening to your podcast. Wow. And I will search out some 127 film to shoot. I miss dark work, but I do process my own black and white film at home. Anyway, thanks for your podcast and good work on all, on all that you guys are doing. Wow. That's pretty awesome. Right. What's this gentleman's name? Mitch Walker from Long Beach, Mitch, California. Mitch, wow. I like his name, Photo Mitch. Yes. Yes. 
instead he, of photo. He bought a baby Roly. Yes, after oh hearing it on the God. podcast. I'm jealous. I have the baby Yashika. It's got some good stuff there. Yeah. I don't know what he's doing at Owen Mills if he's got all this good stuff. Yeah. He's making a living. That's, that's true. you gotta, you got to put bread on the table. Fantastico. Why don't we move right to the Book of the Month? Book of the Month. Book of the Month. FBP. Book of the Month. Book of the Month. Book of the Month. Matt? Well, this month I have A Kind of Rapture by Robert Bergman. It is a very... hold it in display? Sure, yeah, it's I'll a very unique um, book of portraits. Robert Bergman is a, a true artist in every sense of the word. He has a very unique style of portraiture, and it's very... They look spontaneous, but they are in... They are very well planned out portraits. Very similar portraits of people from different walks of life. Um, they are shot on film, to the best of my knowledge, but they are... You don't know what format? I, I'm pretty sure he's 35 millimeter exclusively. Very unique color and saturation to the images. These look like a lot of vagabond type people. Yeah, that's uh, it's supposed to look like that, but some of them are from different, apparently there are millionaires and there are people that just live on the street, all in the same book. Wow. But they all have that, that kind of look and it's supposed, to, it's supposed to look like that. Just kind mm-hmm. of like There's a, mi- a mid-stare portrait. <laughs> the cross is given away. How you doing? <laughs> But oh, I just thought I just thought the print quality is spectacular for a, a, a newer book, and they're they're a very oh. apparently a very unique inkjet process. He in, invented his own really? pr- uh, proprietary process to get the colors that you see on okay. here. They're just very cool images. Um, how did you how did you discover this book? I well the same way I discover anything at my um, at my university's photo library pretty much. It, just my uh, old professor's closet basically. They they gather all these different books and publishers send them books every year. Like, what's top 10 for photography books? And I kind of fanned through them and just, I mean, I got enough books of the month for the next year if you guys need. But <laughs> you just lots of different photographs from all different. Um, Those are some portraits, huh, yeah. John? Yeah, they're fantastic. From all over, so. And uh, is this uh, book currently available, do you know? Yes, it is. It's, it's currently available. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it. You, does, can, you can find it on the Bay. Does Robert Bergman have additional volumes out? Or? I'm not sure. This I know for a fact this was his first volume, and he didn't really come out until he published this work, and it took him a couple years just to get the book out because he was really picky about the, the prints. But he's a... Uh, oh, it he, all paid off because it's magnificent. Yeah, he's he's a really, really artsy guy. There's you know there's books about this book that go into the, the finer aspects oh, of it. Yeah. Interesting. Well, very good. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. Awesome. Dark Hip Tips. Dark Hip Tips. FPP. Dark Hip Tips. Dark Hip Tips. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, some darkroom developer. This uh, episode for our darkroom tips, focusing on something called XTAL. What is it, Matt? Xtal is Kodak's finest grain developer that they have. It's really, really sharp stuff. I use it for push processing and when I started doing large format, I went right to Xtal because I knew what it looked like in medium format. I trusted it and I could dilute it and use it one shot. So I was very consistent the way I used it. And it just gives a, a really nice look. What is push processing? Push processing is where either your your meter hates you or the light in the room hates you and you have to underexpose film. So you shoot like 400 speed film at 1600, 3200, 64. I mean, really gross underexposure. I mean, you have to be careful what film you use, but in the development, development process, you actually add additional stops of processing. You're, you're not, you know, giving the image more than it already had. You're just kind of bumping up the highlights without really getting anything in the shadow area. So you have to be, you have to have a good exposure still, Right. but you, you push it up in the development to 
get a little more of an image. Now, is, is this for people who accidentally shot the film at the wrong speed? I mean, are, are there a lot of those people? Yeah, you can you can do it for that. I, sometimes I do it intentionally because I know going into a situation like, oh man, I'm gonna need 3,200 here. Um, right, one of right. my the the film wedding I did last July, I did that. I was like, I'm not gonna get 400 for anything. It'd be too slow. So I shot it at 1,600, oh. processed it at 800 or 1,600, and came out great. So you knew beforehand that you were going to push process. Yeah, I hey. usually um, on the back of my little Hasselblad and Mamiya, there's a little window that I can. It says where the ASA is, mm-hmm. and I just rotate it and. Set it to that. And you knew just that XTOL was going to be your developer of choice for such a job. Well, I hit up the Google. The Google. I mean, oh. that's, you always, you, always, you always check on Google. And I also checked on, um, what is it, the Massive Development Chart yes. on, um, I can't remember the name of the site, but the Massive Dev Chart, it's also an app for my droid. It's a free app, and I think <laughs> they also have it on the iPhone, and you can just enter in your film. You say what speed you shot it at, and it'll give you a list of developers and really? the times to process it at times, temperatures. It's fantastic. I think some FPP wow. listeners were talking about this. Yeah, I think Dan Domi was talking it's about called, it a bit. It's called like the Massive Film Super The Massive chart. Dev Chart, yep. That's incredible. Shocking. It's, it's a good, good resource to wow. have. So it's not, XTOL is not your go-to grab it off the shelf for regular developing. You no, that's D76. Keep it cheap. XTOL is a little pricier. Okay. You, you pay like 10 to 15 bucks and you can mix a liter of it. And the liter will get you 10, 10 to 20 rolls or whatever within your two to three month period. But I, I dilute it and use it one shot just so I know this is what I'm getting. I don't have to worry about it being weak or, or strong. Right. I just use it. So. That is fantastic. fantastic. That's right. fantastic. I guess once you look into it, you find out what what certain developers are better at doing right. yeah on kodak's website they have a little chart that says you know do you want tighter grain do you right. want a little more a little heavier grain do you want better edge effects do you want clumped highlights for right. some reason or it just tells you what it does and xtol is very much high accutance high sharpness all right. that good stuff so you're getting more and more confident you're ready to start developing aren't you Mike? Well, well, I'm, I'm gonna stick with coffee for a while yeah just check the google you'll you'll yeah. build confidence pretty quick the google yeah i'm going to definitely get into it Mm-hmm. Uh, this spring. The weather's turning a little bit now, so I could actually go out and shoot some more. So. There you go. But, uh, thanks, thanks, Matt. That's our darkroom tip of the month, XTOL. Of course, you can email us at filmphotographypodcast at gmail.com. Oh. And if you want to see some results in XTOL, um, you can go on my photo stream. Okay. Uh, my screen name is Matt4226 on Flickr. I have a bunch of stuff in the FPP pool, and I usually say what I developed it in, how I developed it, and if you go to the blog, there's usually a little more in-depth in saying this is how you do it, pretty much. Right. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So people can go to the Flickr and actually just <clears throat> go to your photo stream and actually search XTOL and the images will pop up because you've probably yeah. tagged your images. Yeah, if you go into a user's profile, there's actually a little a little uh, w- um, sub thing that says tags and you click tags and it shows mm. all the tags that that person has tagged in images really? and it makes the font larger if there's more images. So like on my photo stream, uh, uh, 120 is like size 40 font and then like 8 yeah. by 10 is size 30 right, font because right, right, right. I use it in different frequencies. But oh. you can click XTOL and every image I took and developed with XTOL, you can compare that to DC 76 compared to Pyrocat. It's very interesting. That's amazing. Wow. There are a lot of resources on the, I mean, not only just on your photo stream, but everybody's, yeah. It's amazing how much information is really out there. I think we're going to be hearing from a lot more listeners who are uh, doing their own developing. I think so. Hope we do. Uh, If I had the space, I definitely would start doing it. Right. You should go uh, into the attic. I need a bag and a bathroom sink. Yeah. Yeah. Start with coffee. This way, if your kids accidentally drink it. Oh, Mike, please. (laughs) Well, uh, that's our uh, darkroom tip of the month. And right now, we're going to move on to talking about large format photography. Uh Oh, here we go. Oh, boy. Great, because it's completely foreign to me. If you don't mind, would you mind handing me those boxes of film? Sure. Uh, I About a year ago, I, st- I started getting into medium format photography. 
120 film, and I have yet to delve into 4x5 photography, 5x7 photography, never mind something like 8x10 photography. It's a little big. seems untouchable to me, but I felt the same way about 120 film a year ago, so... Um, I guess it's not for everybody, but once you get into it, I'm sure it's very, very satisfying. This is a pack of, this kind of reminds me when I was in college, of course, yeah. uh, our paper was... Yeah, it's just the same, same box. box. Yeah. Um, uh, Kodak donated a pack to uh, FPP, the Kodak Ektar 100, which was brand new last year. Uh, I think they first put out the 35 millimeter. In, yeah, in they waited about a year, year and a half. And then they put out a 4x5 and, and uh, 8x10. That's in this box here, which I'm giving to Matt to test shoot for us. Mm. Thank you very much. This is great stuff. And, of course, uh, this is Matt's film. It's uh, Portra 400NC. And uh, this emulsion is actually being replaced by the Portra. The new Portra 400. The new Portra 400. Anything you find will be expired by this fall. So you got to oh, okay. get it up or pick it up while you can. And you've been very pleased with this emulsion. I'm I'm brand new to it. I shoot a lot okay. of T Max, and oh. I'm I'm buying uh, black and white. That's yes. my first foray into color. Okay. So will you be, be developing this yourself? I will. I oh, have no I have an old my professor. He's just like a wealth of of resources and information. He whipped out these old print tubes, the Bessler print tubes, okay. and you can use that in a hot water bath and a little <laughs> tumbler thing. Wow, or just a little spinner or print drum spinner, and I do my own C forty one. C forty one. Have you done it yet? I have with some test rolls of 120, and I posted those up on my Flickr okay. stream. I mean, I used this chemistry that's older than I was, but yeah. it still worked, surprisingly. And I, I bought on uh, Freestyle. Freestyle! They had these uh, Tetanol C41 press kits. Okay. 20 bucks will do a whole box of film. Wow. And when you're paying 12, $10, 12 a sheet for film, you want to make sure you're using good chemistry, and it comes out. This seems otherworldly to me. It's it very really cool. Does. And the fact that Matt is developing color film mm-hmm. at home is just... Yeah. It's risky. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's risky. So well, it's like anything until you get used to it, right? Yeah. When you shoot, uh, let's say, a professional job, an event, will you still develop yourself, or will you, will you send that out to a lab? I'll, I'll lab it out. Oh yeah. I I don't trust myself with that unless it's you know a role for me that's black and white or something, that, and that's fine. I'll, right. I'll shoot that. But I always say this is black and white. There's no guarantees. Right. Anything like that. But normally I'll send it to the lab. Now how? <laughs> how in heaven's name? Okay. How in heaven's name did you sort of get into eight by ten photography? Because I. You're the only person I know that mm-hmm. actively is shooting eight by ten photography. Yeah, there's not that many of us in in the whole world, actually. But really, yeah, there's there's about I'd, I'd say there's about a thousand of us maybe that shoot eight by ten. God, it's not a lot. No, it's, it's not. And there's a pretty strong community, the large format photography forum that I get all of my information from. I mean, these guys are they're, they're published, they're famous. Some of them have invented the chemistry that we use, invented <laughs> right. the emulsions. Wow. These guys are you know really smart engineers, doctors, people that have used the stuff forever. There's guys that that teach you how to buy really cheap X-ray film because I can load X-ray film into this uh, thing and shoot it really? if I want to, and it's still cheap. It's like twenty cents a sheet. Wow! But you have to know how to process it. I mean, right. these guys, the stuff they know will keep me going on this until I am their age. The, the X-ray <laughs> film. Pre- Produces a negative that you could then make a positive out of. Yeah, it's just different. Um, it's just different uh, light wave sensitivities. Is what's the grain like? It's it's big. It's like tracks. Okay. Okay. And sometimes it's not sharp just because it's not meant to compensate for the curvature and things like that. Right. Right. So how did you venture into? One morning I was souping some film. I don't know why I was doing it in the morning, but I, I was one day and I walked downstairs to ask my professor for I don't even know what I asked him for to change the fixer because the fixer smelled bad or it looked bad. So I went down there and all of a sudden I saw this monstrous camera in his office and I thought oh my god I've got 
to shoot this. I, I was already diving headfirst into film and thought, oh, what the heck with, with the 8x10. I, I asked whose it was, and it was one of our adjunct professors at the University of Finley, uh, Spencer Cunningham. And I was like, Spencer, you got to let me shoot this thing. And he's like, all right. He had no objections whatsoever. I mean, every film guy I've come across has been a really cool, everybody's been really laid back, really cool. That's what I love about it. But right. I, he took me outside, showed me the movement, the basic movements of the camera, um, gave me last month's book of the month, right, and told me to go home and read it, and then we could shoot some film the next day. Wow! I went on Amazon, I bought some film, and thank God I bought bought it before uh, Kodak discontinued it like a month later. Okay. But what did you buy? The T Max 400, but now okay. you can do it special order through yes. Keith Canham and all them. I just started shooting, and I, de- I he showed me how to develop them in a tray, and I I looked on YouTube. I used the Google and found out how to tray develop it the same way Ansel and all the greats did, and you just kind of go from there. It's it's just a big unknown kind of thing you're jumping into, but it's a lot of fun. Wow, it's very exciting. Wow. How often do you shoot that camera? I try to well, it's with along with the 52 project on my blog. I try to shoot one roll of 120. If I can't shoot a roll of 120, I try to shoot a sheet a week, which is a little more expensive than a whole roll of film, yeah, but right. it, it's rewarding. When you get <clears throat> a nicely exposed piece of film, it looks gorgeous. Now, when you shoot 8x10, do you literally shoot one sheet, or will you shoot like a few sheets of the same subject to make sure you got it? A lot of mine are one-ups just because of the... The price. The economy That's of fascinating. it. That's fascinating. Because film went from, when I started in September, black and white was four or five bucks a sheet mm-hmm. for Kodak. Now it's about seven, eight bucks a sheet for the same oh. film because silver went up. But when it goes up, normal film takes a hit, but I take a big hit because it's yeah. bigger. Are there any folks on eBay liquidating this film, like expired film? There are, but they are taking advantage of the fact that you can't get it anywhere else. So it's no better than buying it from the New York camera stores. It's better to go mm. find an old pro. Who's not shooting. Who's, who's not shooting and say, hey, can I read your fridge? Right. And is there any opportunity for that on, like, large format forum? There are a lot of guys that liquidate their stuff, and it's usually a little cheaper. Right. Um, I can usually get film. I got this 400NC from large format forum, and it was 65 bucks instead okay. of 105 Yeah, yeah. Well, that's so a big difference. It's a big difference. And, I mean, yeah, it's 10 shots. So you really got to make them count. Yeah. Wow. I try to do one-ofs, but sometimes you know your su- you know if your subject's, like, really antsy or really moving right. kind of. I'll do two. Do you have any examples of... Uh, uh, some shots you could show us here. Yeah, do you want to see the negatives or the positives? The positives. Positives, okay. Positively. And are these scanned in some way that we could actually post these somewhere or no? Yeah, I've already scanned them, and I'm just kind of, I'm really behind on the blog. I apologize for anybody that's going to www.mattmirage.com. Well, you're consistent, which is important. Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm, I'm behind, but I'm getting there. Right. Um, these are some contact prints I have. That's uh, General Mills and Buffalo, New York. Hold for the camera. Yeah. yeah. Uncle Floyd style. There we go. And those are contact prints. I just throw it on top of the paper inside of a... There you go. So contact print means that basically you take the negative and put it on top of the photographic paper. Yep, and I sandwich it with some glass on top. And you're just printing it. There's no enlarging going on. No enlarging whatsoever. So the grain structure of the negative is... Identical. Yeah, and it goes on forever at the sharpness. It's and great. this is the uh, is that that was the Quisp factory. No, the uh, General Mills. Oh, so I don't General I don't know Mills. who's it. General Mills. Yeah, they Quisp. Did. Yeah, they might may have been Quisp. Yeah. And it's closed, so they could have made Quisp and Quake. They could have. Yeah, could have been. been. Went in there and I really like the the <laughs> whole idea of urban decay. It doesn't move like people. So, but I'm starting to get a little more comfortable with portraiture. This is very Joe Franklin like. <laughs> is it? Yes. So these two are uh, West Point this is nice. Academy. Right. They're the view from there on the river. So I, I'm not a big landscape guy, but I find the more into the whole zone system kind of thing. You you want to try and get one or two good landscape pictures. And these are one-offs. In other words, one shot, you didn't take multiple no. shots? No, couldn't afford it. Incredible. So. 
I, that was uh, the last time I came out to PDN is when I went to all these places to meet you guys. Oh, no kidding. I took, I took, I have five film holders, which is 10 shots, and I took 10 shots while I was there. Oh, that was a, a night exposure that I was playing around with. That's Toronto from the Niagara River. That's a little bright. I did that for scanning so I can darken it a little bit and post, but that was just guessing. I, my meter really doesn't mm. handle long exposures. So I put it on T mode. Mm. I opened it up for 45 minutes. I went out to my car. I had some food in there. I ate some food, watched oh some God. YouTube, watched some YouTube <laughs> on my droid, came back, click, insert it, and I was done. Wow, that's 45 minute exposure. 45 minutes, and that's in PyroCat. So, and that makes sure that in the negative, it's a lot better to, to see, but you can read the, the word casino there, and it's not blown out from the, mm. the white lights around it, but you get some good shadow I'll detail. I'll do it War of the World style. Ladies and gentlemen, we're looking at a print here. Unbelievable. It's a 45 minute exposure. It's a landscape shot. Can you see that? Yes, you may. There you go, see? Now, not to be oh my uh, goodness. too critical, but there's 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 a lot of schmutz on it, and that's because... So he's not perfect. You're not claiming no, he's perfect. No, I was, I, I was pawing around. I wasn't sure how to process them yet. These are exercises for you. Yeah, very much. Just trying to get a feel for how I'm going to do a long exposure, how am I going to process it, because with each sheet, you, it's not like a roll of film. You're not committed. You can process it longer and shorter, mm -hmm. and that just controls your, your contrast, your range. What is, what is it like doing a 45-minute exposure? What goes, what goes through your mind? I was just kind of chilling. I was really? like, I was like, ah, maybe I'll. Go. But I always kept thinking as as it as like fifteen minutes hit, I was like, that's not enough. I'll just go more. And yeah. some some people be like walking a dog. Somebody walks by. Somebody oh, walks gosh. by with a digital camera and takes pictures. And I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm taking a picture. Now these folks taking a picture. What? Yeah, they always ask what. Even One picture. It's, yeah, exactly, exactly. Now these people in the next shot, John. That's yeah, uh, twelve like, seconds. Twelve. Some seconds. people, as you see, are a little, uh, you know, they're moving. Little, they're a little moving. ghostly, but a really different way of doing a picture. That's the the Orange Cat Coffee Shop in uh, Buffalo, or not Buffalo, Lewiston, New York. Spend a lot of time in New York, do you? I have some family in New York, oh. so it's a lot of fun to come up and get a place to stay, shoot around. A lot. It seems like a lot more people out here in the East Coast are really cool with me taking eight really? by ten pictures in in uh, my hometown, Finley, Ohio. It's good that I know a few of the cops there because I've, I've been harassed by people. Yes. Really? Yes. Well, it's just because people get a little more nervous when they see a bigger camera, but at the same time, you use the intimidating size of the camera, and some people are more willing to it because they know you're not going to put it on Flickr, right. or, or they feel like you're not going to exploit them with a digital image. You've got this film image that has this traditional process, and some people, they just really take to it. Like one of these pictures, um, me and my... People uh, out here are so used to people taking pictures with phones and cameras and yeah. video, so it's just, you know... Yeah, this picture, um, this is not my sled. Um, we, we went out... We, I was taking pictures of people sledding on a really snowy day, the first, like the during the snow apocalypse. And these these this older couple was out on their wooden sled, and I was taking their picture. And they were so wowed by the whole process. Yeah. They let me take a picture with their sled. They let us go. They let me and my girlfriend go sledding on it. You know. Wow. Just very cool stuff. It's kind of an honor to be taking, have your picture taken with a camera like that. Yeah, I hope people feel that way, you know. I think it's, it's an investment. Yeah, it's very cool. I mean, it's, it's great for for landscapes, but portraits. It just seems like there's an image of your grandfather that you took. Oh yeah, it just Ned, that uh, one's a, that one's a fun shot. Yeah, I mean they're awesome. Yeah, wow. But you gotta have people that are willing to. Yeah, I mean be still for the process. I mean back a hundred years ago or more, you had a sitting <clears> and people were expecting that they were going to be sitting. There was going to be a brace holding right, their head. Right, really. And yeah, they, they have like <laughs> this old style. I think you know how everything was horrifying in the medical right. community back right, then. Right. They have this horrifying little brace that goes between your temples and it holds you there. So you Keep can take an older still. style portrait, yeah. They would it, just take the cap off the lens. Yeah, and they would take the, the cap off the big brass. I'm trying to get one of those lenses. Those things are gorgeous. That'd be crazy. They're like Pringles cans with glass in them. So. I mean, since there are only X amount of shooters of this type of photography, do, does stuff get traded around? Or I mean, not, not, not necessarily everything is very expensive. I and mean, you can find, um, there must be estate sales. People pass away. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to be careful. You have to know if the equipment is damaged, if it's repairable. Right. There's a lot of people that repair them, but there's a lot of different cameras. So if you go with one of the more popular brands, I have an old um, Eastman commercial camera. Right. Which there weren't many made because they didn't have. They ran out of magnesium because of World War II. So wow. this was the first all-metal view camera they made. Metal. Can we? I let's think, look at it. Yeah. Let's. Uh, yeah. Let's clean up here. Let's look at the camera. And Jeff, our uh, technical director, will yell at us or shout out if there's something that we need to do. Okay, here is our special super-duper camera spotlight this episode. It's an 8x10 camera, the Eastman Commercial B, and uh, Matt is going to take it away and uh, tell us tell us all about it. Okay, well, this actually isn't my camera. It's, my pro- it's the adjunct professor at the University of Finley. He was kind enough to lend me the camera, and he's like, I just want somebody shooting it. So this camera is was manufactured in 1939, and they stopped production in World War II just because they needed the magnesium for more important things like guns and bullets. And this super light camera just kind of got thrown under the bus. Nobody mm. um, had too many of them. It's just like the older Kodak 2D, which goes all the way back to 1905. So this is a little newer, but those cameras were made of wood, but the parts are interchangeable. It's kind of cool. And it's pretty easy to find parts for these because it's Eastman Kodak. Either um, you consult the Eastman George Eastman house in Rochester, New York, or just a lot of places around the East Coast have you know have some of these cameras. It's great. Really? Yeah. So They're easier to find than you would think, I guess. Yeah, and you just gotta you hit the Google. And you, you find them eventually. So. Mm-hmm. The Google. A lot of different things about this camera that make it, you know, they're advantageous and some that just kind of detract from it. Like this camera, I can only take a landscape picture. I can't take a portrait. Why is that? Just because the back normally, um, on the back of the camera, on the ground glass, in some of the cameras, you can unlock a bit, rotate it, and you can take a portrait. In this one, it's metal and there's it's riveted on. Mm. So I'd have to undo the rivets. But you have taken portraits with this camera, yes? Yeah, I just come in real close on the landscape. Okay. Or, or I crop in when I enlarge it. So. Okay. Okay, very good. How do you get... Get the, the film from, let's say, a box into the camera. Do you need a dark room? How does that work? You do need a dark room or a very sizable changing bag. Um, and as the film comes out of the box, you have your film and you have... It's not the standard way that you would take a picture. You can't see the picture once you're done focusing and ready to take the picture. You have you have your, your lens. It's opened up. I focus it on the ground glass. Like you guys got a chance to see that. Cock your shutter. Close your lens. Right. Get it ready to go. So you pre-focus. He's ready to go. Oh, we have a film yep. holder. Once we're ready to go with the image, we have our film holder. Move the ground glass back and insert your film holder. You take out the the dark slide, which is keeping light from hitting the camera or the, the film. Close that in. Your lens is closed, hoping to God that your subject hasn't moved in between mm. the time you started yeah, this that's process. That's a procedure. It is. And then when you're ready, get your subject ready. Take your picture, insert your dark slide, take it out, rinse, lather, repeat. <laughs> it's a big process. Now, the, the film holder, I'm not going to take anything out because I don't want to waste $12, but right. open up the dark slide, and your sheet kind of slides in right. under these little holders, and you have to make sure it's under there. And if it is under there correctly, you'll get these nice little these little slots right here, and that forms from where the film is held down by felt on either side, and you, you throw that in the into the film holder, emulsion side up, and that's denoted by a little notch that's on every one of them in the top mm-hmm. right corner. And you, in the dark, it's really easy to fill it, fill, uh, feel it up. It's like film braille. You kind of yeah. pop it in there, put the dark slide in, flip it over, do the same thing. After it's just like anything else, like 120 right. spooling. You just do it a bunch of times, and it's second nature. I thought there was something wrong with my camera when I first started doing it, but it just turned out I was loading it wrong, and light oh. was leaking in through the the corners here. And now that I've thrown 50, 60 sheets through it, I'm oh. pretty confident in the process. I mean, I didn't waste them. I, I've got shots. And right. right. This is usable images on them. Yeah, but that's you know that's $500 right there. If yeah. you, that's if, a 
pretty big hole go you got. <laughs> it is. It is. And if you have, and you have to always check for like leaks. There's, you know, you've got this leather bellows. You have to maintain it. There was a, a topic on the the Flickr uh, page for FPP where people were talking about how do you care for it. Some yes. use leather oils. Some use like a, like an end dust or something like that. This applies for any bellows, correct? Even this even, Kodak even tourist, the tourist camera. Yes. Do they sell certain type of? Uh, Chicken spit. <laughs> Chicken spit. So stuff that you would coat or paint yeah, you onto can it? Uh, you can find that on. Let me see. There's the view camera store online, and how I would you apply it to the bellows? I think you just put it on like a small towel or something and you just kind of no insert it. Um, some people use Q-tips for the smaller ones. Uh, there you go. Really get in there. And, and it you, keeps the leather soft and supple. Yeah, and if you and if you have a crack and you don't know how to repair it right away, you can always take gaffer's tape and just kind of patch it up. Nice And then get it later. Tape. Exactly. Same stuff you would use for your Holga to keep light out. Right. right. Same deal. Of course, the, using tape, it gets a little messy or could, you know, ultimately gooey. ruin it. Could, it could actually it ruin it, make it worse, yeah. Do they have services that you can send a camera out to to get bellows replaced? Yeah, there, there are guys that do uh, replacement bellows it's not cheap it costs anywhere from 100 to 350 dollars depending on what camera you have but then again it's if you're if you're driving a ferrari you're not going to put right yeah. unleaded in it yeah. so and is this a popular model camera it's no it's not because of the availability of it the the more popular ones are your expensive cameras like your right. your deerdorfs and your canum cameras those those can go right. eight by ten cameras sell anywhere from two hundred dollars to five thousand right. dollars mm. now what is this is this a toyota a ford a lexus like what does this fit I would, I would say this is like a Hyundai. Oh, okay. <laughs> really? I would okay. say I would say I'm using the Hyundai. Wow. Of course, everything's based on your lens, correct? Like yeah, you it's, could put it's all glass. Yeah. You could put an amazing lens on here. You could yeah. put some amazing glass on there. Yes, you can go. And the cool thing about this is the way you mount the glass is just right up here. You you unlock, oh, look at that. And, the, and the board comes out. Oh yeah. And that's that's it for the the glass wow. right there. Just kind of drops in, lock it, and you're set to go. But you can use all the way back to those really old, mm. awesome brass lenses. Oh my God. Now, do you know of any other 8x10 photographers, let's say, in your area or in the New York area? I don't know any in my own area. I know a guy that actually shoots with a bigger camera in my area. In Toledo, there's a guy that shoots with a 7x17 oh. camera. It's a super panoramic image. Holy sheesh. That, that film is... Whew. But it's... He orders from Keith Canham? Yeah, he has to. Or, no, Ilford. Ilford, Ilford. makes it, too. I was wow. going to say, because there are 11 by 17 cameras. What was the size you just mentioned? Uh, 7, 7 by 17, 6 by 17, 11 by 17, 11 by 14. There's Goodness. Now, those you can only contact print. Okay. I mean, thank God. They don't make in larger, yeah, right. big enough. They make in largers up to 11 by 14, apparently. Because you were mentioning that in order to put your 8 by 10 negative in an enlarger, which you did, that the enlarger, it's like 9 feet off the ground. Yeah. 9 feet off the, where the paper is. Oh, no. It's 9 feet total. Okay. It needs to be about, it's like a five-foot difference through a 200, and it depends on what lens, enlarging lens. Right, you right. You have to have a lens that can cover it without getting soft or right, diffraction right. anything. It's all about the glass. It is. It's always all about the glass. This is this is something I, it's a little cheaper. People, you know, oh, it's a Fuji, not, you know, yeah. some guys get really all into the glass yeah, I know, I know. and the film yeah, yeah, and yeah. the mathematics behind it. Just shoot it. I yeah. got it because it's wide and it's <laughs> right. nice. Just shoot right. it. Well, you got the right attitude, I think, about definitely, the whole thing. Definitely. You know? It's you, about having fun and, you know. And I definitely have fun with this Not guy. Not being anal about it. Right. But film photography is fun. Should be. Did we miss anything about this camera? Um, not oh, too much. The oh. cup holders. Uh, no, uh, uh, Matt brought in, I was shocked, uh, Polaroid 8x10 film. Oh, yeah, that's right. A shot. How yes. does that work? Do you have a different back for it? 
Yeah, it's a completely different back because you're not you can let you can actually load the Polaroid 8x10 in daylight, which okay. is very nice because it comes in its own little dark envelope. The thing pops open, you load it, you pull out the the emergency envelope, and you go about shooting the no same way. And then you process it by putting a positive, sandwiching a positive and negative together, and breaking a pod before you do that. And right. it puts the reagent through and processes it right there. Am I imagining things, or did I read somewhere that the Impossible Project is producing uh, 8x10 film for this type of holder? As far as I know, they are are in the process of making it on their blog back in November. They said they recovered the machine and they started manufacturing pods. They taped a couple pods together and they even made a Polaroid 20 by 24 image. And they are they're trying to, apparently they're just getting the color technology mm. good and then they're going to start manufacturing that. And I'm very excited. Wow. Wow, that's right. Holy smoke. Holy sheesh. <laughs> so do we want to go ahead and holies. throw a picture through? or? Oh my goodness. Yes. How do you feel about setting up uh, a shot so that we all all, all, all three of us can be in it, and then uh, Joel, Joel Colbeck could pull the trigger. That's fine. Yeah, all, that's all you have to do. Uh, John Fideli, by the way, uh, folks, we just uh, experimented with uh, Matt's 8x10 camera right now. He has his uh, Polaroid machine out. He just exposed a 8x10 piece of Polaroid film. Oh, I'm recording. I'm ending the show. I'm in <laughs> I'm ending the this, uh, the show War of the World style. Uh, John Fideli is leaving the building. I, I gotta go, Jordan. As <laughs> Matt is feverishly pacing the studio, getting ready to develop, uh, pull the eight x ten Polaroid through the rollers to uh, break open the chemical pod and smear the chemical all over the emulsion so that the film will develop. Anything that smears is good by me. So. Yes, this has been a fantastic episode. I want to thank John Fideli. Thank you. Who's leaving the building? Even though he thinks he's not angry, most of the time he has a kind of angry. Uh, I'm not, I'm not, I look angry, but I'm not. He's not angry. It's a hereditary thing. My dad looks like that. Yes, yes, he does. I want to thank uh, our technical director, Jeff C., our web consultant and web person extraordinaire, Paige Davis, Joe Kolbeck, who's now pacing, looking for some coffee or coffee beans. Goodbye! <laughs> Good day, sir. And now. Matt is, uh-oh, having some difficulty. Uh-oh, is that bad? It broke the pod? Oh. So until next time, uh, we're at filmphotographypodcast at gmail.com. I want to encourage everyone to um, write in, say hi to us, give us some feedback to the show. Uh, hey, Matt, thanks for uh, taking part. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, until next time, we're out coordinating our schedule. And, uh, could be, uh, Matt could be in our neck of the woods again. Yeah. So until uh, next time, uh, shoot a lot of film, have fun, and see you next time. And check out our show notes to see all the cool stuff that we shot and talked about. Show notes. Yes, thank you.
these tales before when they used to mean so much more she shows her happy head